Betty. Do. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, hey guys. Hi. Hi. Welcome to the 13th Floor Podcast. I am Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And here we are, another week, talking about strange things. <laughs> and this week, we're talking about ooh parts. Right, James? We are. Yes, this topic was submitted to us by Don S. in Kentucky. So thank you again for submitting that topic to us. Yeah. This has been a fun one. I'm, I'm excited to kind of dig into this. James, can you let everybody know what ooh parts are right. again, just in case they didn't hear our last Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, most requests are made via email or social, but this was made personally. And when I heard the request, I said, what are Uparts? Because it didn't make any sense. (laughs) And so he explained that it's an anagram or whatever for out of place artifacts. So an Upart really is something that is found that, you know, normally wouldn't be an issue except for where it's found. Like, for example, if I found a laptop at an airport, I would think, oh, someone's misplaced their laptop. But if I found a laptop in a pyramid covered in dust and carbon dated to 6,000 years ago, that would be a vastly different phenomenon. It'd be a bit weird, James. (laughs) Yeah. I would like you to go explore pyramids so that that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Yes. Um... (laughs) Do you guys have anything exciting to talk about before we do our icebreaker? Uh, no. No. <laughs> Nothing at all, you know. Yeah, That's just how it goes sometimes. Yeah. It's that time of just every day of this year. Every day of yeah. this year. Alex and I voted today. Hey, I did too. But oh, by wow. the time this episode comes out, <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll all know what happened. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wow. What a different world post-November 3rd is, everybody. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alex is wearing his little I secured my vote sticker right now. Oh, it does say I secured my vote. Yeah. That's weird. Didn't you like look at the sticker when they gave it I to you? I saw the Georgia Peach and I just said, it says I voted. <laughs> and then, James, okay. did you get your sticker? I got my sticker. and. Okay. Uh, it was it was weird this time around though. It just felt different. Like the everything about it felt different. Really? How yeah. so? Uh, well, usually I push buttons and that's it. And this time it was like, here's an SAT test. Uh, make sure you fill it out properly and then put it through a fax machine. <laughs> that's, oh. that's that's what I had to do too. I had to press buttons on a screen. It's like a touch screen. And then it printed out something, and then I had to take it over to like a fax machine. Yeah. In my case, I had to fill it out like it was an SAT. Like literally, it was, wow. and, and here's the weirdest part. You know, an SAT, at least you can like do that little spin with the pencil. Uh, these were square, so it was actually harder to fill out. I know that sounds like a silly complaint, but it's like, why not have circles? All other questionnaires mm, have circles. True. Why are these rectangles? It was really weird. And then, mm. then I put it through a fax machine for some reason. It was very odd. And it was it was different. It was yeah. different. But I'm starting to think maybe I didn't vote because it was this was at a rallies. Um, also known as a <laughs> <laughs> no. oh man. Well, it, yeah, it, it was a uh, fun. I, I noticed there was a sign there that says "Do not talk politics yeah. in line." I yeah. was like, mm. that's wonder, probably a good idea. I wonder how many people <laughs> have gotten into fights here. Yeah. yeah. But it was it was quick. I thought that it was going to take us a while to vote, and it was got in and got out like within 
10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. It was very it was, quick. It was easy. But enough about voting. Um, James, what's our icebreaker? Our icebreaker is who did you vote for? No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, our icebreaker is, uh, you know, since we're talking about out-of-place artifacts, what thing do you own that you feel is kind of anachronistic for, for nowadays? It doesn't really fit in with the rest of the world. Oh, that's a hard one. James, mm. I'm going to let you go first because I'm going to have to think about it. Okay, sure. No worries. Um, a lot of people, as uh, I've probably mentioned before, I love tea and I drink tea a lot. And most people use um, like tea kettles that are electric and things like that. And I literally you make tea with a saucepan over a stovetop and then a Kyusu teapot made out of clay. So it's it's pretty wow. dang old school. Wow. James, that is yeah. kind of a... Ancient. I mean, I guess I'm not really surprised. Yeah, he probably he's he probably is, had he it for centuries. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. found out today I can pay my credit card with an app. I didn't know I could do that. I've been writing checks all this time, so real, Actually, real excited yeah. about that. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Are you serious, James? I'm dead serious. I found out <laughs> I, I have, I've done everything with pen and paper up until it's, today. Yeah, it's just because the banker be was shocked too. She was like, "What?" <laughs> James, it's amazing you've been able to figure out how to do a podcast. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. mm. That's hilarious. Alex, do you have anything that's like out old of place? school that I do still? I think that honestly, I think that, and this isn't really old school, but when I start working on a screenplay, I handwrite everything. Oh, wow. I wish I had a typewriter, though, because that would oh, be pretty cool. See, I learned to type on a typewriter. So, so did I. What? Well, yeah. that's very anachronistic for both of us. Oh. Now that's that's what I want for Christmas, babe. I want. I'm a, not getting you a typewriter. A typewriter. <laughs> it's it really does like the little clickety clacks. It's motivating. It makes you want to write. Yeah. I'll get you a. I'll get you a more haptive keyboard that clicks clacks. Well, you know they make those now. They make like full blown steampunk like circle key keyboards. I want one, but they're expensive. They're expensive. You should just get yeah. me the typewriter instead. Mm. Yeah. Hey. yeah, I have to I'm, listen. To, I, I want to get you. I want to find one that makes those sounds when you have headphones in. So maybe there's a program <laughs> on your computer that makes that clicking sound, <laughs> and you can have your headphones in, and I don't have to suffer through it. And then at the very end of the line, it has to go. You know. Oh uh, yeah, get you a royal. Get me yes. a royal, babe. There you go, Alex. What about you? I don't know. I'm a I'm a modern man. <laughs> uh, you know I. I <laughs> I, I think, you know, there's not really a whole lot of like old things I probably do, but I guess in the digital age, for a brief period of time, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't need to, I don't want to buy movies or anything like that because, you know, now they're all digital. I don't have to worry about it. And then uh, the last couple of years, I've been like, maybe I should start buying things again because you see marketplaces like get rid of stuff and it turns out you don't actually own anything online. Yeah. It's just licenses. And Amazon just said, like, hey, yeah, we know people have bought movies on here, but just so you know, you don't technically own them. And it's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. And so that's kind of like the oldest thing I do. Is I'm calling it right now. You know how Gen X guys, when they have a midlife crisis, they buy vinyl records? Yeah. When you have a midlife crisis, <laughs> you're going to just buy a bunch of cartridges from old video games. <laughs> and just insist, you know, the SNES, the, the, the sound and the peripherals, they were just better. 
<laughs> no, no. What I'll do, I'll buy DVDs instead of Blu-rays. It's, the uh, picture quality is just so, so much blurrier. You really get a feel for what they really intended. It's the nostalgia. <laughs> That's it. Man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You know, I'm a modern man. What can I say? He's a modern man. Yeah. I, I, all I, every time you say that, I think I'm Mr. Roboto. Modern man. Roboto. No, I am a modern man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was right there. All right, you guys are. Are we ready to start talking about ooh parts? Ooh yeah. parts. All right, I think I'm gonna start out. And let me see. All right, I guess James, a resident mm-hmm. expert of just about everything. Did you just say expert? Expert. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Let me know what happened when you rec- when you edited this. You said expert. I probably <laughs> did. Our resident expert on all things except the Real Housewives shows on Bravo. <laughs> he signed Alex and I an array of so-called out of place artifacts. So, are you guys ready to hear about my findings? Mm-hmm. Okay. First, I'm gonna tell you about the London Hammer. Ooh. Mm, <laughs> Sounds like a serial killer. Alex. It does. <laughs> it does. It kind of does kind of. Alex, you want to take a wild guess as to what the London Hammer is? I'm guessing they found a hammer that looked like it was made like 50 years ago, but it's dated 400 years ago. Kind of. It's kind of. You're on the right track. Yeah, that's pretty dang good given you walked <laughs> into it blind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the London Hammer is a hammer. <laughs> That was discovered in London. Oh, I'm on the money so far. Texas. Oh. I I didn't specify. Well, yeah, that's true. But it was encased in this giant rock formation that's said to be more than 100 million years old. Wow. So you were off by a couple hundred (laughs) million years. Yeah. Yeah. But our ancestors didn't start kicking until around 6 million years ago or so. So please explain to me how a hammer was found stuck inside a 100 <laughs> million year old rock. Thor. Oh, that's exactly that's what I thought of. I can I can almost guarantee. <laughs> I can almost guarantee that this had something to do with Thor's hammer, the mm. way that they found it in the Oh, exactly. In yeah. the movie. There's no doubt. But I got most of my research from skeptoid.com so kind of a spoiler alert right there for you but uh-huh. this hammer was discovered in 1934 and to me it looks like a little mine hammer it does look like a mine yeah, hammer it looks it oh. looks like someone in a mine would work with it or someone from the old west and i picture i picture this cowboy riding into town on his pony he tips his hat at the filly who's working at the saloon and he whips out his hammer and he tells her i'm here to fix your swinging door little lady and oh she my <laughs> But (laughs) here's the problem with this hammer, you guys. Geologically, it actually is possible for some of the sediment or mineral where this may have been dropped. It could have dissolved and then hardened and then been buried with other stuff that hardened, making it look like it was encased in a 100 million year old Mm. stone. So it's actually entirely possible that this may have been dropped by my old West cowboy when he was Mm. riding through town. You know what Mm. I mean? Yeah, he... He probably got saloon to sw- fix that swinging door, and he was like, I'm here to fix things. And then he looks down at his tool belt, and he's like, oh, shit, I lost my hammer. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. That's, that's what I picture in my bit. My odd little brain, but. 
Anyways, <laughs> the hammer is now sitting on display at a museum in Texas, okay? Hmm. The Creation Evidence Museum of Texas, to be exact. <laughs> and a guy... <laughs> a guy... <laughs> A guy named Carl Bowe is currently in possession of this is a hammer, and he claims it's a relic from before the famous flood of Noah. You know where that's he built what I was the thinking. Ark. I was like, "Behold, Noah's yeah. hammer!" Yeah, <laughs> he claims it was before that. And Bowe, he says that he got this supposed ooh part tested, but he hasn't really been fully transparent with like the details surrounding it being tested. He's just like, "Oh, I tested it, and it's authentic." Mm, I trust him. Yeah, but he he won't let an independent party come in and test it, which just stinks to high heaven, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. But yeah. who knows? Who knows? You guys, that's the London Hammer. Oof. Yeah. Mm. And next up, I'm going to talk about the Ramampa Temple Idols. Okay. <laughs> this, and I got my research for this on Reddit. And a YouTube video. <laughs> Honestly, there wasn't too much. Like, there was a lot out there about this these idols. But it wasn't like, oh, it's an ooh part. It's just like, oh, look at the beauty and the majesty. But there's also a YouTube video by a guy named Praveen underscore Mahone. M-O-H-A-N. And he actually explained why these are technically ooh parts. So... They're called Madhanikas, and they're they're gorgeous. Like, Alex, if you look them up, they're absolutely beautiful. And they look like something you'd see in a museum. And, listener, if you're in a safe place, definitely stop to look these up because they are really pretty. But they are these beautiful carvings at the Ramampa Temple in Palampet, Telangana, India. And they look a bit out of place because of how technically and perfectly designed they are. So they're made of black basalt, which is this very hard, sturdy rock. And Mm -hmm. if you look at the artwork at the rest of the temple, it does look uh, a little bit, I'm not going to say primitive, like it's still very impressive, but it looks like it could have been made with something like a chisel, you know, simple tools. But these Madhanika sculptures, they look like they are made at a completely different time. Like they're so perfect that it's hard to believe that they were maybe made by the same people who made the rest of the art at this temple, Mm. but they're perfectly smooth and polished. They're anatomically correct. And (laughs) (laughs) James, James, (laughs) something the creators must have used some type of advanced machinery just because of the way that they're made. And they apparently, they're so advanced that it actually, that the sculpture has natural shadowing and highlights, which is something that's not very easy to achieve, especially with like mm. sandpaper and a chill. Yeah. But archaeologists have determined they're at least 800 years old, and that was way before machines capable of producing this type of work existed. So it's a bit odd, you guys. The idols, most visitors who see them in person apparently tend to think they're made of wax. And that they were maybe put in place like later at this temple just because they look so different and they really stand out just because they're black versus, you know, just the regular stone of the rest of the temple. But a lot of people think that they're placeholders and it's like, oh, this is what we think might have been here. You know what I mean? Interesting. But they actually, they're they're very, very old. What's the name of them again real quick? Manhadikas. Manhadikas. Madhanikas. Ah, I see. This gorgeous. But apparently, in the YouTube video I watched, they there are 12 of these idols that are at this temple. And they're said to represent the 12 signs of the Zodiac. 
So some people are like, how did they make these sculptures that long ago? Yeah. See, look how ornate that is, Alex. They're very impressive. Yeah, they're very impressive. So stop, look them up. They're really cool. And then last Mm -hmm. up, you guys, I'm going to talk about the Perry Reese map. Is that how you say it, James? I think so. Yeah, Perry Reese. And I got all of my info on this topic from allthatsinteresting.com. But the Perry Reese map, it was made by a dude, you guys, named Perry Reese. (laughs) (laughs) Back in 1513, he was an Ottoman admiral slash cartographer, but he made this, it's kind of like a comprehensive world map based upon the maps of all these other world explorers. So he like, he he made a a mashup. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, mashup. He took all the maps, including some from Christopher Columbus, and he put them all together to be like, oh, this is what the globe looks like. And it was meant to be one of the most accurate maps of the time to help all the seafarers make their way safely around the globe. It was drawn on gazelle skin parchment, which kind of gives me the creeps. Heebie-jeebies. But Reese made it. It's about 35 by 24 inches in size. And it's actually split apart into multiple pieces because it was damaged over time. Because guys, remember, it's from 1513. Yeah, I think that there's like, I think there's only one third of it left. And it's funny how they actually found it because they found it. I can't remember where they found it, but there was a a German archaeologist, maybe. I I don't know a specific job title, but he was looking through this museum and he was like, I'm going to look for like maps and stuff. And he's cataloging things. And then he was given this pile of just stuff that was set aside, just all these papers and stuff. And he found it within the stuff that was just to be kind of like, you know, this is nothing. But it was this beautiful map. Interesting. Yeah. So it was a lucky find that we have it now. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to look at what the globe looked like back in 1513. But the one thing about this map that has some people stumped is that it appears to show the continent of Antarctica. Ooh. But Antarctica wasn't said to have been discovered until 220 years later in 1733. Plot twist. Plot twist. Bit. So... <laughs> How did Perry Reese know Antarctica existed if no one knew it existed? So Perry Reese was the thing. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> but another interesting facet about this map is that it looks like Antarctica was actually connected to South America. And it looks like Antarctica, it was before it like, had ice on it. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a historian named Captain Lorenzo W. Burroughs, that's a long name. But he mm-hmm. wrote in a letter that the depiction of Antarctica shows... Looks like it's accurate, and it's likely that the continent looked like how it does in the map before it was covered in ice. Mm. Meanwhile, Dr. Charles Hapgood, which I feel like I've talked about him before in a previous podcast episode, but I can't remember where. But anyways, Burroughs sent his letter to Hapgood, and Hapgood suggested it's possible that Antarctica wasn't actually connected to South America. But apparently... Back in the day, cartographers would exaggerate coastlines to make things easier to read for explorers. So mm. it might just look like it was connected to South America, but it wasn't. And the skeptical view here is that it's not Antarctica at all. It's just an island that has been exaggerated. Because remember, they exaggerated. Mm. And one other notable issue is that Drake's Passage is missing, which would have probably been mm. important on a map. If it was actually seen. So, yeah, you guys. Mm, that's the Perry Reese map. Those are my ooh parts. Ooh. <laughs> that sounds dirty. Parts. <laughs> uh, all right. Oof. 
Alex, wow. Alex, you gonna follow me up? Yeah, we'll see how I do. You know how I do. Yeah, I know how you do. <laughs> yeah, so I got a few ooh parts myself. My first one is the Baghdad battery. What Cece, is this? Guess. Can you guess what it is? Um, it was a Duracell battery that was found buried under three thousand years of sediment. <laughs> That's right. It was just a Duracell <laughs> brand Duracell. battery. <laughs> Turns out they've been around for a long time. <laughs> no, it's actually these three artifacts that were found together. It's a ceramic pot with this like tube of copper and this, uh, I guess, a, a rod of uh, iron inside of it. And it was discovered in Kujut Rabu, Iraq, mm-hmm. which... They think the age of this is somewhere around 240 AD is their estimates, but it goes all the way up to 640 AD. They're kind of unclear on when it's from a little bit because (laughs) a lot of stuff, it's a tumultuous region. Yeah. As you may have known from history. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, its its origin is really unclear. It's thought by some people to be a galvanic sail. Sail? Sail. <laughs> it's a galvanic sail. A galvanic. Oh my God. Dang. Ah, ah. We're having trouble today, James. <laughs> you talked about cowboys and now I can't quit talking like I'm <laughs> talking about you. A galvanic <laughs> sail. A, a galvanic sail, which is essentially this thing that produces electricity using chemical reactions. And the theory is that maybe it was used for electroplating, which is the process of using electricity to apply a metal coating to something. Like you would coat a statue or anything. A frame, maybe. Coat. You wouldn't do a frame back then, but you you might want to do a picture frame. Yeah. Keep keep your hand drawing of your family in it. (laughs) (laughs) Or or even possibly used for electrotherapy. So... Yeah, a little zip, zip, zip. But the 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 thing is, it's kind of odd, is that it doesn't doesn't look like there's any electroplated items from this era. So mm. that kind of throws a little bit of a kink in it. Now there is another theory that it's possibly it was just used to keep storage for sacred scrolls, because mm. the reason. That that is a theory is because they have found organic matter inside of this, which is what you would need to run a galvanic cell, mm-hmm. which is why that theory even came up. It's because there is organic mm-hmm. matter inside. Now, the reason they think sacred scroll- scrolls is because they use papyrus and all these other organic things. So yeah. if they did disintegrate, that would be- constitute organic matter. Okay. Yeah. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, so uh yeah, so this thing was actually found in the 30s. And even even almost to this day they've still done some tests on it to see if they could actually get an electrical current out of it. Uh even Mythbusters did an episode about this back in 2005. Really? Yeah, yep, oh. yep, and they, they their organic matter they used was lemon juice. And they were actually able to get four volts of electricity out of it. Wow. Which was enough to do mm-hmm. a couple of things, but they, it wasn't enough for uh, them to shock anyone like they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. So no... No electrotherapy for that. For okay. Them. 
All right. I'm like. okay with that. And then there's another test in an old 1980s show called <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World, where they did a similar mm-hmm. thing. They used a different liquid. I think it was like grape. Yeah, it was grape juice. And they got a few. Mm-hmm. They got a, they got a few volts themselves. So it's possible. Now the only thing that really goes up really against <laughs> the electricity part is. It looks like the construction of it would not have allowed for the copper to have an actual connection to the outside. So they don't know mm. how the electrical current may have been able to get out if it did. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Interesting. really the, the biggest theory right now that they're leaning towards is it's not for electroplating. It was probably just to keep sacred scrolls. It out. was just a pretty little pot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Unfortunately. But some people are holding out hope. But I want to move on to the, I want to say this wrong, Baygong Pipes. Baygong Pipes. Mm. Baygong Pipes, yeah. And these are some really cool features. They're also There's also another set of pipes called the Dalinga Pipes. and It's the same thing, pretty much. Uh, so there's these series of rock-like pipe structures that look completely natural it's not it's this is unlike the unlike the uh baghdad battery this is not a man-made thing at least as far as we can tell but there are some odd things about it first off they look like rocks but they're hollow so which is why they're pipes (laughs) uh they're found in the white mountain in china and they really typically come in dozens like not bundles, but they're all grouped together by the dozens. Like there's a lot of them. Not exactly twelve, mm. in case anyone's getting confused. But there's like thirty, it forty looks like a of lot these of them. There's a, there's a lot of them all stacked on top of each other and just really packed really tightly. So yeah, there's dozens of these odd looking r- rock formations. But there's another odd thing: is that they've got organic residue inside. Hmm. Another mm. odd thing for something that is. Looks like stone. Another thing, in 2007, they found that some of the pipes are highly radioactive. Mm-hmm. Where would they be radioactive? I don't know. Uranium? Ooh, possible. Who knows what they're doing over there in China? <laughs> but no, uh, <laughs> they don't. They don't really know why they're highly radioactive. But they do have a theory of what these probably are, and the theory is that. Because some of them seem to have tree rings inside of them, <laughs> that these are fossilized tree roots. Ooh, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, and they're really cool. I, I recommend people look at pictures of these because these are really neat. And they're like a big tourist attraction over in China. They've got signs advertising these things. They look awesome. All over the place. They do look mm-hmm. awesome. Shame I won't be going to China. Probably <laughs> ever. Um, so, uh, I got one more for you all. The main penny, or as some call it, the Goddard coin. Goddard? Mm. Yeah, so both names are relevant because it's just the location. The Goddard dig site is in Maine. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that interesting. So the, the significance of this is that an old Native American settlement was getting dug up for all kinds of goodies, you know, to send off to museums and that type of thing. And they discover this coin. But the weird thing about the coin is that it's tied back to the Norse. 
So we're in America looking at a coin that would have came Vikings? Mm-hmm, that would have came from the Vikings, which means the initial implication is that maybe the Vikings beat Columbus here. Maybe, or maybe, maybe. they did. Mm, in, Period. Mm-hmm. Okay, nerd. Um, <laughs> so uh, that might mean that they had actually gotten to Maine before uh, Mr. Columbo. So this is like a really huge deal because as far as we could tell, it looks like maybe the closest, unless you're James, maybe the closest they got was maybe Newfoundland in Canada. Yeah. To be fair, when you said America, I thought you meant like the continent. Oh, okay. (laughs) I got you. You're right. You're right. There is a gray area there. Oh, this is. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I I did say it wrong. America. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Um. So it, it's, it's contentious where this really came from, but there's a couple explanations that look like they might explain how a Viking coin made it down to Maine. The first mm-hmm. one is trade routes between tribes. And the, mm. they think that the trade routes did extend all the way up to Newfoundland. Because of this same location also had a Dorset Eskimo Burren, which is just, Mm. it's not something you would typically find in the area, but it is something you would find in Newfoundland. Okay. Well, that's the first thing I mm. thought was like, maybe the Native Americans got it from somebody else who had gotten it from somebody else. Which is very possible. Mm. But but Newfoundland's pretty far away. You know, maybe they didn't trade that far. I don't know. I wasn't there. (laughs) (laughs) So it seems like something they can. Someone probably brought it to the area. Now the other explanation is that it's a hoax, <laughs> meaning mm. meaning whoever discovered the coin planted it, or possibly someone tricked them and put the coin there. The reason that this is actually plausible is because in 1954 these coins were actually in the open market. And people were buying them. So, okay. Uh, like, uh, these ancient coins were in the open market and people were buying them. And when was it? it so it was discovered and in 1957? Dis- well, I haven't got, I haven't said that, but I, it's clear you've read my notes <laughs> that you give me a hard time about. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, but yes, which is interesting because they dug this up in 1957, just three years after these things were for sale in the open market. Man. Mm. And you give me a hard time about your notes, huh? I'm going to go cut all that out, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. That's the main penny. The main Mm. penny. My main squeeze. Uh, (laughs) James, what three Um, ooh parts are you going to be talking about? Well, to start with, I'm going to be talking about the only one on our list that is of animal origin. Um, Yeah. Yeah, the pipes were plant-based, possibly, but this is definitely animal-based. Human, to be precise, and the first one on the list is the star child skull. This is what appears to be a five-year-old human skull that was found in El Paso in 1999. And what's unique about it, because finding a skull in and of itself is, you know, grounds for a CSI episode, Yeah, but... It's not like, oh my God, what's going on? But the thing about the star child skull is it is very distinct from a normal human skull. We're talking a lot bigger, um, like like 
much larger than adult an adult skull. No frontal sinuses. The back is flat. The optic nerve is closer to the bottom of the orbit than the back. Hmm. The orbits themselves are shallow. So a lot of physical things about this skull should not simply be the case for any human, let alone a five-year-old. Just picturing that in my brain hmm. gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, I mean, really picture an alien skull and you kind of got it. Hmm, okay. Furthermore, it was actually found with uh, a woman, uh, her bones as well, next to it. So they tested them, and they found that they these, this quote-unquote mother and this quote-unquote uh, child were not in the same haplogroup. Now, just oh. so you guys know, haplogroup is based on mitochondria, which is passed from mother to child, which means there's no way on Earth these two are actually related. Hmm. So we don't know what this adult woman and this five-year-old were doing together, but we do know that they both died. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we, we put that together pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. And incidentally, you know, this was found in Texas. Uh, both haplogroups, uh, C was the uh, uh, the woman and A was the child, they are co- both commonly found in Amerindian populations. So there is that. Oh. They're a little different. A is found more in East Asia than anywhere else, but more frequent in Amerindians, whereas haplogroup C is found in Amerindians, but more often than not, it's found in Siberia. Mm-hmm. Uh and that makes sense when you think about the land bridge mm-hmm. origin story. So it's not like aliens inherently. <laughs> it's just odd to to see these particular traits. We'll never know probably like why these two people were together. Yeah. But the most skeptical and I think the most reasonable, this is a really skeptical episode, turns out, um, is the just that the child had congenital hydrocephalus. And that's what killed it as well. Mm. Um, it's a, that's a little odd too, though. Generally speaking, hydrocephaly, if you make it to five, it, it, a, that's a little surprising. And it's equally surprising, again, that this, this child was with an adult that wasn't uh, in their immediate family. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's very peculiar. It could have been a paternal aunt. That's one thing I was kind of thinking because they wouldn't have the same mitochondrial DNA if that was the case. Hmm. But in any event, it's a very, very odd skull. And a lot of people have implied, as you can tell by the name Star Child, that, you know, there's this connection between it being like an alien-human hybrid. But nothing really suggests that. And hmm. as I've mentioned before, Excluding like genetic engineering, a person is more genetically compatible with a flipping daffodil than they are with a, something that evolved on another planet. Yeah. You know, right. That's something we have in common with daffodils. We're, we're both from Earth. <laughs> so all in all, I think that that's the most likely explanation, that it was simply a fatal case of hydrocephaly. Um, mm. Next on my list is something a little more peculiar and I'm a little more suspicious of. And that is the Koso artifact. The Koso artifact, uh, well, let me, let me just tell you what is unusual about it. Um, it, was, it was found in 1961, and it was found in Virginia by a married couple. And they were looking for geodes, as one does, I guess. <laughs> um, or, sorry, I said Virginia, California. Blah, blah, blah. They found a spark plug. A champion spark plug, oh, commonly found in yeah. 
yeah, yeah, commonly found in Model Ts. So, you know, a Ford spark plug, even though the brand is Champion. Um, and it was encased in a geode, a half a million year old geode. Mm. So, yeah. Now, what's crazy about this is the Baghdad battery, the Baghdad battery, we know was made by people in Baghdad. Right. But if this is half a million years old, a spark plug in and of itself would be amazing. But this is a champion spark plug. <laughs> Bear that in mind. This would, this isn't like finding um, uh, sandals from six thousand years ago uh, that are you know like sneakers. This would be like finding Nikes six thousand years ago. So something is very up with that. Mm-hmm. So. People have been wondering, like, well, well, okay, ancient astronauts? Okay, that doesn't really explain it because, again, it's a champion brand <laughs> spark plug. <laughs> it's from the 20s, hands down. Atlantis. Also, it's a 20s spark plug. <laughs> the most interesting theory is time travel because, you know, that's that was my theory. more reasonable. Some oh, sort of yeah. time rift, yeah. Now, the skeptic explanation is that something like a spark plug, It's it, you actually both mentioned something similar, a similar process, which is concretion uh, for some of yours, mm-hmm. is that a spark plug is going to really allow iron oxide, a.k.a. rust, to form really, really quickly. And as that sort of mixes with other materials in the earth, that concretion process is going to make something look like it's been there a long time, when really it's not been there for nearly as long. The hammer was a great example of this. Yes. So this was found in 61, and the artifact itself is from the 20s. So 40 years in the ground rusting, I can kind of see that happening. But I will present a, an alternative theory, Oof. which is that Henry Ford was capable of time travel. <laughs> it's how he invented the Model T to begin with, and he is, in fact, God Emperor in 2040. So... <laughs> We'll see. Time will tell. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Get back to James in 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the most famous, the, the only one that I'm actually not the least bit skeptical about, and we, we're hands down going to be doing more Who Parts episodes yeah. further down the line, because there's a lot, there's a and lot. they're all interesting. Um, but the most well-researched and probably the most iconic of all Who Parts is the Antithakira mechanism. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is something that, first of all, when it was discovered, you know, it was, it was actually discovered in 1901. So that is a really long time for something to have been uncovered in modernity. That's, that's odd in of itself. Usually these things date back to, you know, the mid 20th century, but this was something that people found, uh, much, much further ago. And what's really amazing about it is one, we know it's not a fake. We know this isn't something somebody just made for for fun. But off the Greek island Antithikira, hence the name, they found in the sea, well, really from a shipwreck, this peculiar thing. And it looks like something you would find at an Apple store, except rusty and, and antiquated because, you know, it's old. Yeah. <laughs> so how old, in fact? Well, B.C. old. Probably 70 B.C. or so, maybe even 100, 200 B.C. So really flipping old. Wow. 
Wow. It was in a wooden box, which showcases that it was pretty valuable. And if you look at it again, the 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 gears, everything about it just screams advanced technology. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it really, this is one of those things where it would be kind of like finding uh, a, a plane engine in a Greek mausoleum or something. Hmm. Um, one thing we do know that it does is that it tracks or predicts astronomical positions. Now, that's an important word, predicts. So this is something that's mechanized, that's used to perform complex calculations. So this is a computer. Hmm. Like, that's not even really debatable. You could roll your eyes and say, well, a real computer uses uh, binary. A real computer has software. Well, going by my definition of computer, which is a, a mechanism that can perform calculations it's a flipping computer, you know? <laughs> so this is the crazy part. It can actually predict that they did like really advanced imaging of this. It's got 37 gears wheels and it can predict eclipses and it can model the irregular orbit of the moon. So wow. yeah, the, see, that's the thing. A lot of people don't know this about the moon. The moon is faster when it's in its perigree than when it's in its apogee. So it doesn't have a constant speed. It actually speeds up and slows down in its orbit. So they figured that out. This machine accounts for that. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. (laughs) That kind of technology didn't really come about again until the Renaissance. But here it was, you know, in in possibly 200 BC. So. Mm. That's a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, and they ended up making sort of a, a modern model of it to sort of showcase its technological advancements. And just looking at the the, the revamped version, <laughs> the Apple Store version, <laughs> it, it really illustrates, because, you know, it's it's harder to appreciate the thing that is covered in corroded bronze. Right. But when you see, like, like a modern interpretation of it it really illustrates how advanced it was to the point that this looks like something you would see in a modern jewelry store like a modern clock store it looks full-blown steampunk and yet this is again i cannot emphasize this enough this existed 200 bc potentially uh yeah it's amazing so it's been very studied it's easily been documented and studied (laughs) excuse me (laughs) more than any other upart, uh, largely because, again, one, we know that it is as old as people say it is. It's not a hoax. And secondly, it's incredibly advanced, uh, so much so that I would argue that it makes Big Ben look like Little Ben. It's just <laughs> uh, it, it, it also showcases the Zodiac and it already uses and this is just nuts to me. Uh, it uses the 365 and a quarter day solar year. Oh, it's yeah, wow. it, yeah. So it even included leap day, which I don't think anybody had done. Ptolemy hadn't even done that. Nobody had flipping done that, and yet this machine accounts for that. I just like it's it's time travel. <laughs> time travel. No, that's like that's the type of thing that gives me a headache. Just trying to wrap my mind around something like that because it does. It looks like it's totally steampunk. Yeah, but it's just yeah, it's it's nuts. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it also included the zodiac, and it included all 
of the signs that we're familiar with today, which I think is interesting, even though I never doubted that, you know, I didn't think it was like a game of telephone where those changed, but it's just neat that like what people saw in the stars back then, their imaginations, mm-hmm. it, it, it's the exact same thing. It's they've got Scorpio and, and so forth. You know, it's the same. Scorpio. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All 12. They're, they're this, the exact same as what we, we had back then. Um, yeah, and they also used uh, month names, which I'm a little baffled by on that, too, because the Romans didn't use 12 month names, but they used the Corinthian month names. There's 12 of those. Hmm. Um, so I'm a little baffled by that. And I also think it's interesting that the Corinthian month name for uh, uh, modeled after Zeus is actually called Mechanius. You know, this is a mechanical thing. <sighs> Zeus was apparently referred to as the mechanic. Oh. Huh. What if, yeah. this was, what if this was Zeus's creation? Ooh, interesting. <laughs> wow, yeah. cool. Um, yeah, there were there were also a series of glyphs that have been since deciphered, mostly also dealing with you know pa- tracking the passage of time, the moon, the sun of the day, hour, and night. So those are some of the glyphs that we know have been translated. There are others that haven't been. But it just, again, it illustrates that this is a really complicated thing and not just some sailor's tool. Hmm. You know, it's easy to think that, that, oh, well, this is just like a really fancy sextant or something because it was on a boat. But no, this is this is like a flipping laptop for ancient Greeks. Can you imagine how devastated they must have been when that ship sank? They're like, our computer. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Our only one. It's the only one. Yeah. <laughs> this is off subject, James, but you mentioned glyphs, and I've always wondered this, and I wonder if you might know. How do they interpret those? Like, how do they figure out what those glyphs meant? Well, it's kind of like how we, we learn languages. You know, we study how there are similarities between, you know, one language and another. And we from there we can glean that, oh, this language sort of evolved from that one. In fact, you could even easily say that before the advent of genetic testing, you could really tell where people had been and, and who they interacted with and how they evolved from their language more than their features or their cultures. Well, similarly, you know, these glyphs are different from what we're used to, but they are clearly devised. They're, they're, they're an antecedent of Greek. Okay. So so understanding Greek and then understanding ancient Greek and then understanding precursors for ancient Greek, it would be relatively simple. And I use that really, really lightly because it sounds like I'm saying <laughs> anybody could do it. But from there, it's not it's not a, a crazy leap to be able to decipher it. Okay. That makes sense. I've always wondered that. So thank you for describing that, James. No and then also just talking about the ooh parts in general. That was a fun episode. Yeah. It was. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to say before we draw from the vase? I'm kind of looking forward. I'm already thinking of some really good examples for the second episode of this, even though it's probably like a year away. <laughs> well. I started digging too early. started digging. All right. Dig, 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 baby. Let's see. What are we talking about next week? Oh, I've got a double. It's stuck together. All right. Next week, you guys, we are talking about oh, witches. Ooh. Witches. That's going to be a fun one. Witch. It's been a long time lasagna. since we talked Witch. about lasagna. witches. Do you guys want to know who this topic was submitted by? Oh, sure. yeah. Rebecca B. I mean, you're going to tell us. Yeah. <laughs> Rebecca B. from Massachusetts. Do you guys want to hear some oh. fun facts about Rebecca? What's up, Rebecca? Maybe she's from Salem. 
Oh, she might be. That's all. Interesting. That would, yeah. Well, Rebecca, message me on Instagram because that's where she submitted this. Don't curse me if we do something wrong. All right. So here's some fun facts about Rebecca, you guys. She dreams of opening up her own candle shop one day. (laughs) But it's going to be kind of like Build-A-Bear but with candles. And you've got to put these little fabric hearts in the middle of the candle. But wait, there's a surprise in the hearts. When you burn the candle, you also burn the heart and reveal a little piece of candy inside. Do you have to put your fingers (laughs) in the hot wax again? Wow. Yeah. But yeah, you do. Very elaborate. It's very elaborate, <laughs> it but elaborate. I think it's a great idea. But the the um, they're going to be called candles. Because <laughs> that candy side. And then she oh. also once shook hands with Guy Fieri outside of Steak and Shake. Oh, yeah. So thank you, Rebecca, for sending in that topic. Got to figure out what which I'm going to talk about next week. Nice. Candles. Candles. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the worst Pokemon ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, you guys. Well, I guess I guess that's it for now. If yeah. listener, if you want to submit a topic for us to talk about here on the show, if you want to hear us talk about some more ooh parts, you know, send it in. You can send your topics into us on Instagram at 13th Floor Podcast. You can send them to us on our Facebook page, and you can also email them to us at 13thfloorpodcast at gmail.com. Lastly, you can feed the vase on our website, 13thfloorpodcast.com. <laughs> yeah. Alex, who does our music? Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find his music on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music. Well, you guys, <laughs> it's been a fun ooh part episode. Mm-hmm. But I guess until yeah. next time, we hope that you can keep, keep it straight. here to fix your swinging door, little lady.